Welcome to All Nations Christian Fellowship. Here's Pastor Clayson. Hello, hi. Welcome to All Nations Christian Fellowship. Uh, it's, uh, it's wonderful to have you here for this is the third message on the series on the book of Daniel. And uh, thank you for coming and helping us to become a caring and equipping church to influence uh, the greater Vancouver area with God's love. It's wonderful to see all of you here. And uh, today we will uh, uh, see the, the rest of the chapter 1, verse 8, through until the end, through verse 21. Uh, and I, uh, I'd like to begin saying that there is very and a very important theme here, a topic that speaks to us today, although this book refers to a time uh, a long time ago, 6th century before uh, Jesus. But there is an aspect here which is very, very important for me and for you as disciple of Jesus today. And uh, actually, uh, we, we need to preserve our uh, conscience to God. Uh, there is a Christian writer called Joe Carter. Uh, he wrote something, uh, I think it's something very interesting about conscience, a Christian and conscience and disciple of, uh, conscience of the disciple of Jesus. He says it's something like this, conscience is making a comeback among Christians. Over the past few years, the term conscience has been increasingly referenced in debates occurring both in uh, our churches, like appeals to conscience and moral issues, but also uh, the public square, like defending the right of conscience. So he says, we hear a lot about conscience, but what exactly does it mean? Well, the general concept of conscience can be found in almost every human culture, but it has a unique and distinctive meaning for the disciples of Jesus. If we examine uh, the way Scripture talks about conscience, we uncover five general themes. First, conscience is an internal rational capacity that bears witness to our value system. Second, conscience is a trustworthy guide. Only when it is informed and ruled by God. Third, conscience is to be subordinated to and informed by the revealed Word of God. Four, to willfully act against conscience is always a sin. And, and five, conscience can be suppressed by sin. That is very interesting because this is why to protect our conscience and, and keep it in a working order, we must preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Uh, uh, Carter also says that we must call on the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, lead us to righteousness, and uh, uh, remind us of the judgment that we are spared by our, by our union with Christ Jesus. He here is uh, uh, quoting John chapter 16. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So only then can our conscience serve its intended purpose of helping us conform to the values of our Creator. 
Well, this is very important for our message today, as we, we're going to see in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 8. I'd like to invite you to open your Bible, and we will read this, uh, this passage together. Daniel, chapter 1, verse 8. The Word of God says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men at your wage? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked to them. He found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Dear Almighty God, you are a wonderful Lord. You are a wonderful God. We trust that now you you help us to understand this text and how we can apply this text. How can we benefit? How can we use this text in order to understand the relevance of our conscience as disciples of Jesus? Please come and help us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Daniel and his friends here, they chose to preserve their independence of conscience out of loyalty to their higher priority, which was loyalty to Yahweh, the God of Israel. But there is, there is a mysterious thing going on here. Daniel and his three friends were doing fine with all the assimilation program provided by the Babylonian government. But, yes, yeah, so far so good. So they have said yes to a political career. They have said yes to new names. They have said yes to a pagan education, especially literature. But then in verse 8, they said, verse 8 says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Wait a second, my friend. 
I'm sorry, but this sounds almost ridiculous, right? After accepting so much, why take a stand on food? Wasn't they swallowing so much so far? Why not royal meat? Why not royal wine? Why did they refuse a pretty tempting royal menu and for so long? What did they hope? That's a very good question. What did they hope to accomplish with all of that? Okay, Daniel, now you are ready to refuse to refuse to step, but why on earth do you have chosen your diet as the moral and theological line here? Well, some scholars think that the answer lays on the fact that Daniel is firm in his commitment to the dietary laws of the Old Testament, uh, also known as kosher, but I don't know, wine would not be part of the restriction of the Old Testament laws. Other scholars say that Daniel was actually not uh, motivated by the dietary laws of the Old Testament, by, but by the religious overtones of king's food. Because, you see, uh, sumptuous uh, food would be offered to the Akkadian and Babylonian gods, and whatever was left would be brought to the king's table. But again, Daniel is still taking the vegetables, right? So I, I, I'm not sure if this will be a, a fair explanation. Still other scholars say that Daniel's motivation was actually political and not theological. Because in the ancient world, politics and religion, religion were actually two spheres not completely separated as we have today. So to eat food from the king's provision was a kind of a, how should I say this, an, an acceptance of his covenant overlordship. There is, the refusing of the food was a way to refuse relationship. I think this is the best way we can put it. They were trying to avoid covenant loyalty and total dependence on the king. But again, the diet was a private thing, not, not a public thing. As the four lads stood before Nebuchadnezzar and were said to be uh, the best, the king could still take pride in the projects of his uh, generosity, right? So I think we, we, we could understand, we can understand, sorry, we cannot understand Daniel's action here without paying close attention to what verse 17 says. That these four young men, God gave knowledge and God gave understanding. You see, the thing here is God gave. Sure, the Babylonians thought they were in control of the world, but the Bible makes it clear again that God is the one who orchestrates events for the good of His people. We, we will learn that along along the way on our journey to the, through the book of Daniel uh, that Daniel, one of the most important thing in this in the description of Daniel's character is that Daniel is a wise man. Uh, he knows the right action. He knows the right situation. He knows the right word to effect a godly result. So these four boys here, they had already decided they could and they would serve Nebuchadnezzar and his state. So this is not the point. 
they would do so to the very best of their abilities. They would accept all the adjustments that the government required in order to be trained for that whole, so that, that role. So that, that's not a problem. But they would not, that's the thing, they will not give to Nebuchadnezzar the ultimate loyalty or the ultimate commitment that they could give only to their God, Yahweh. Chris Wright is an Old Testament scholar and he's helping me a lot here. He says that they would serve the state under God. They would not serve the state as if it were God. That is, they would seek the welfare of the city where God had put them, but they will not do so with the kind of a idolatrous patriotism that silences all kinds of critique and questioning. Now, the most important question, I believe, for us today here in Vancouver at All Nations Christian Fellowship, as disciples of Jesus living our 21st century, uh, based on this passage, I believe, is this. What can we learn from Daniel's attitude? Well, they chose to preserve their independence of conscience, out of loyalty to their higher priority, which was loyalty to Yahweh, the God of Israel. So a, preci a precious lesson for us today is that no single nation or any other unit must be placed beyond good and evil. This will be idolatrous patriotism. It conflicts with ultimate ultimate loyalty to God himself. We all can find ourselves sucked into an obsessive loyalty to political parties or, or a sports team or any commercial company or even to a church denomination or a, to a particular church or to one great and gifted uh, leader who can do no wrong. That's why we all need to watch our loyalties. We all need to watch our commitments, our convictions, and constantly submit them to critical examination in the light of our one final loyalty to Jesus himself as Lord. That is, will we become overzealous in, in a cause which has great value, but it is not the only God's priority? Will we become uncritical in our support for a public figure or a public organization, Christian or not, so that I find myself being defensive to excuse mistakes or wrongdoing? Is my loyalty to the company I work for a healthy desire for, for its honest success in the marketplace or maybe an unhealthy, blind acceptance of whatever it demands of me, whatever it may do to others or to principles of truth and honesty? Am I allowing my mind to be conformed to this world rather than transformed into the mind of Christ? You see, that is why I began my message today speaking about conscience. Daniel and his friends took their stand courageously. 
God vindicated Daniel's decision and action. The last verse reads, And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Well, this is long time after. And this is not, not just a footnote. No, it sums up both aspects of this, of this chapter. First, it points to the overarching sovereignty of God in the span of history. Cyrus, I think you, you know that, was the king of Persia who overthrew Babylonian Empire about 70 years after Nebuchadnezzar had created it. So the empire that had destroyed Israel in the first verse of this chapter has itself been destroyed and replaced in the last verse. But second, the last verse points to uh, the personal vindication of the faith and commitment of four individuals in the midst of the turmoil of their day. All the tests and choices they had to make all through their lives from a very earliest age. They proved their covenant loyalty to their God under, under pressure and under, under threat. God remained sovereign. Daniel remained faithful. So I, I believe, my dear brothers and sisters, that from this passage here, we learn two things. First, and I, I need you to, I want you to pay very close attention in this, because this is very important for our daily lives today. First, God is sovereign and is still in control of the world. Yes, we need to remind ourselves about it every time. But second, God alone deserves our total loyalty against all competitors. These two great affirmations shine through this chapter, but they will go on echoing through the rest of the book. So don't forget this. We must preserve our independence of conscience out of loyalty to our higher priority, which is loyalty to our God, who has rescued and called us to work. If we do not understand that, since the beginning of the book, since the beginning of our journey through the entire book of Daniel, we will not understand the book. We will not understand God's word. We will not understand God's message to us through this book. Think about it. This is very important for you, for me, for our church, and for everyone who wants to become and who wants to be a disciple of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Almighty God, we have read your message, your word. We have studied it. We have learned a lot from it. We have heard your voice. And now we ask you to come and first of all, forgive our sins. We want to present ourselves before you cleaned and ready to be taught and ready to be guided by you, by your powerful hand, through your powerful word. So please help us. We want to keep our conscience we want to keep our loyalty only to you. And then we can observe, we can read the world, we can read the society around us according to our cleaned conscience, according to our 
faith, our understanding of your word and your will and the, the, the establishment of your kingdom around us. So please come and help us. Come and bless us. Give us wisdom. But also through your Holy Spirit, anoint us with wisdom and understanding and with motivation to fulfill everything that you have uh, uh, to what you have called us to do. We are your people. So please, come and bless us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. God bless you.